0: Open the door to the most powerful room in housing. Built for mortgage executives, real estate leaders, and the rising stars that drive innovation and progress, The Gathering will feature over 45 powerful speakers on stage in Scottsdale, Arizona from April 21st to 24th. Learn more and register now at housingwirethegathering.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm Diego Sanchez, COO of HW Media filling in for Sarah Wheeler while she's on leave. Today, I'm joined by our lead analyst, Logan Modashami, who will talk about this morning's incredibly strong jobs report and the implications for future decisions by the Fed.
1: Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is great to be here. This is truly a historical week. Um, you know, part of the housing wire tracker that we write, we talked about we're going to have a lot of labor data the, uh, this coming week. and. To me, they've all come in really well, uh, because I think the I think the misread that I see today um, from people is that they see the headline number being really big, but then they go, okay, bond yields went up. That means the Fed has to hike more. Gr-. No, they no, they don't. Wage growth is cooling down already. The growth, the rate, gro- the growth rate of inflation is cooling down. What this shows is that you know you don't need a job loss recession to uh break inflation you need the supply and demand balance to work with each other but if wage if we had wage spiral or breakaway inflation like we saw in the 70s we wouldn't be having this discussion right now the 10-year yield would be north of five percent mortgage rates would be eight to ten percent inflation would not be cooling down and wage growth wouldn't be cooling down we saw uh two data lines this week that had wage growth cool down so I it, it is positive 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 in every way and for myself, who have the six recession red flags up, the two things I needed to see to get it like a soft landing is, number one, the growth rate of inflation falls. That's what happening. Number two, the bond yields fall. They don't. They don't rise. That's been happening. So it's positive all the way around. And this really shows you don't have to crash the economy to have the growth rate of inflation fall. So I'm very happy this week.
0: Let's unpack that a little more because count me as one of those people who was surprised by the strength of that headline number, you know, over 500,000 new jobs, amazing, but also was immediately concerned about how the Fed was going to react. So maybe unpack that a little bit more. What's going on here?
1: Never put too much weight into one jobs report um, if it's deviating from a trend. Uh, You always want to take the trend and job growth is slowing down from its crazy pace. Of course, a lot of that is just the makeup from COVID, right? You have the initial COVID-19 recovery, which we had in September uh, 2022. Then you have the jobs that are just, we should get these jobs if the economy is just normal. If there was no COVID recession, we're pretty much getting to, to, to the point where we should be as part of the longest economic and job expansion in history. So, I'm not looking at the headline or the positive revisions that we see as as a start of a new trend. I just see what I've always thought would be the case massive job openings, you know, when this recovery happens, jobless claims very low, baby boomers are retiring or leaving the workforce. So, the need for labor is there. But the fact that wage growth is cooling down, it's it's still positive, but the growth rate is cooling down. The employment cost index that the Federal Reserve tracks. Uh, uh, always. That came out this last last week. It also cooled down. And the labor market is solid. So I think for those of us that have tried to stress, you don't need to destroy the economy to get the growth rate of inflation is down. This is a positive uh, aspect of housing. So I don't think our first initiation or our first reaction should always be, oh, what's the Fed going to do? The things that the Fed are tracking are slowing down. So uh, unless they change the language about that, uh, there's nothing we need to do. Just let the economy take its course, let people have jobs and uh, uh, move along with it. You know, uh, get past this fear of the 1970s and needing to destroy the economy to break inflation. So you you see it that way. And I think that's a very insightful
0: way to look at it. Do you think that's the way that the Fed is going to look at this. They, they raised rates by a quarter point uh, on Wednesday and made some noise
1: about some future hikes. What do you think their next move is going to be? The Federal Reserve has targeted core personal consumption expenditures. That's the uh, PCE inflation. And they said that they want that down to 2%. Uh, how they're looking at the Fed funds rate to get to 5% and they just let it stay there and see what happens. They're they're not talking about, well, we need to be basically 2% above uh, core PC, because core PC, the growth rate is falling. We're gonna have a three handle. So technically the Fed funds rate, if they if they were falling, their own their own logic should be lower than what it is today, uh, because the core PC is slowing down. So the inflation growth rate is falling. Uh, uh, we have to get away from this—that a tight labor market creates wage spirals. Well, it's not here yet. So, if if you if there the concern, if you're concerned about inflation, is that the U.S. economy is booming, too many too many too many jobs, too much wages, not enough supply out there, and uh, it, it, that spirals out of control. Things that we see during a global pandemic, and the history of global pandemics going back 800 years, are very simple. You have major inflationary trends. You know for two years and then the disinflation happens after. So, uh, I they told us what they wanted, and to be honest, this is why the 10 year yields at 3.5 percent. You know, if it was if we had breakaway inflation, we're much higher today. Uh, so what the Fed is looking for is actually occurring. <clears throat> what bearish American citizens, or as I call them, stock traders, you know, they're tripping over themselves because a lot of these people were we were in a recession last January of 2022. So they have to try to, you know, they they have to hope that the Fed just raises rates as fast as possible to destroy the housing market, destroy the U.S. economy, to justify their bearish shakes out there. But no, I, I think everything looks about right compared to what the Fed has told us they wanted to see uh, uh, as of now.
0: Since the Fed did their rate hike, their small rate hike earlier this week, we've watched mortgage rates decline. According to HousingWire's Mortgage Rate Center, rates for 30-year conforming mortgages have dipped into the high fives. Do you think we have a chance to return
1: to a boring and balanced housing market soon? So here's the crazy action. One of the things I do with the HousingWire tracker is look at that 10-year yield. And for the last uh, few weeks, I've said, we're, we're in this Gandalf stage where, you know, Gandalf says you shall not pass and we cannot break under 3.42% close and get follow through bond buying uh, uh, for some time now that this has been a tough area to crack. So right now, mortgage rates went from 5.99% to 6.19% today. Bond yields went up, mortgage rates went up on it. But in context to what we've seen since last October, uh, the growth rate of inflation is falling. Wage growth is falling right? So these are the things that the Federal Reserve wants to see and the bond market has got ahead of the Fed out here. So look, I don't believe the Fed is going to accelerate higher because their own tracker or the things that they're tracking are basically falling. Uh, So unless they come out and say, well, we want to be restrictive because we really, really do want to destroy the economy to make our jobs easier. So we want to go 2% above the core PCE rate on three, six, 12 months. So you're looking at maybe five and a half, six 6% Fed funds rate. They're not talking about that. They're talking about just getting rates to about 5% or wherever they want to get the final two and just letting it stay there and let the lagging impact of Fed rate hikes. That's where we're at. This is one of the reasons why I've i not been a Fed pivot person. The Fed has told you what they wanted to see until the jobless uh, da- claims data gets worse. And I've targeted... 323,000 on the four week moving average of initial claims as the main main thing for myself. I did not just randomly pick that number. Where job openings are at and unemployment rates, if we are able to get to that number the labor market's broken. But until then they are not going to pivot and cut rates no matter what the bottom market is. If we start to get to that stage the bottom market will get ahead of them, but for now they're kind of doing what they said they were doing. The bond market is reacting to cooler inflation data, cooler wage growth data. This is, this is Goldilocks, considering that everybody thought we were in a recession last year at this time. Uh, um, so growth rate of inflation falls, bond yields keep on falling if that, if that trend continues positive because the one sector in the economy that's in a recession is housing. And we've already seen a bounce from the bottom on some of the uh, uh, demand data lines. And we stabilize and we get a functioning market and we don't have to be crazy anymore uh, uh, with with Fed talk and let the economy find its way right now because you don't need to create a job loss recession to defeat inflation because that eventually impacts production. Like we've seen housing permits have already fallen. They're going to fall all year long. Uh, Luckily, we have that backlog of homes that they have to build. If that wasn't the case, construction labor would already be lost. So uh, we're fortunate in that aspect on the production side.
0: Looking at the data that we get from our friends at Altos Research, we've seen, like you said before, some signs that demand has bounced off the bottom in a positive direction. Inventory, eh, some, some, decl- some small declines. Maybe we'll see some increases in February. Do you think we're going to get to the point where you can take that savagely unhealthy label off of the housing market?
1: Well, what am I, what am I, actually, what am I, probably the most important housing data line for me and my work in in regards to the savagely unhealthy housing market is days on market is now no longer a teenager days on market. The last NAR report is 26 days. We're so close to getting to that 30 day. We get to 30 days on the market. Half of the savagely unhealthy housing market is gone, right? That was a big thing of mine. Whenever days on market are a teenager or under, nothing good happens in housing. That means you do not have enough product or you have a massive credit boom. We didn't have a massive credit boom in housing, right? We just didn't have enough product. So the days on market growing is on one side, getting inventory back to 2019 levels, which is something that I forecast on Mike's uh, show last June is problematic because new listings data started to decline after June. So if people don't list their homes to sell to buy another one, you know that's That that, that's a very problematic thing with housing. In this case, people listing their homes in the spring, we always get that spring traditional increase. That's a positive because especially now that rates have stabilized. They're heading lower, but they're stabilizing. They're not having this these wild movements. These are all positives for the housing market. And hopefully we get the spring inventory to increase. Uh, uh, my my call from last year getting the NAR data back up uh, above 1.52 million, that's going to be extremely difficult now since we broke under a million active listings per the NAR data going into the year. But still, we're in a better spot this year than we were last year. Last year was savagely unhealthy, did not like the housing market, said it was the worst housing market I've ever seen, January, February, March. And we're just trying our way to get balance. And there there is more balance now than last year. So I'm I'm happy on all fronts because the labor market is solid. You know, there's no housing credit distress 2008 event that people have been screaming about for 10 years. So this is this is as good as you could get considering all the variables we've been having to deal with post-COVID uh, and 3.4% unemployment rate, right? Most people are working. That's a good thing. That's not a negative. That's a positive.
0: You just got back from freezing cold Texas. You gave a series of speeches to Keller Williams brokers and agents uh, throughout Houston and San Antonio. What insights were you sharing with those audiences? I heard really good things about, about the speeches.
1: Yeah. You know what? For me, w- when, I, when I speak at these events, I try to give an entire housing economic scope with charts so real estate agents and mortgage people can talk to their clients and, you know, show them real data. Unfortunately, we live in a society where, you know, if it bleeds, it leads, or if it's doomsday, it gets most of the attention. And in that context, that's not how real, that's not how economics is supposed to be. I always say economics done right should be terribly boring, right? That's, it's not designed to be this sexy hot fun event, right? It's, it's, it's really gritty, tedious work. So what I do at these events is I show a, a bunch of broad, different housing, mortgage, economic debt charts so people could understand the difference between this housing market and the ones we've had, you know, for many decades. It's not just 2008, but it's it's, it's other cycles as well. And uh, the two things for me always, part of the America's Back Recovery model on April 7th, 2020, demographics are much different this time. Household balance sheets are much better. So... The need for manual labor will be more now than what we saw back in 2008 and 2012. So the job opening should be high. Check. We've got that. We're over 11 million. We're into 2023 now. There should be no questions about that. And then also, you know, the consumption levels are going to be stable because household balance sheets are stable. Now, eventually over time, higher short-term interest rates, higher credit card interest rates, those things eventually slow down consumption. Uh, but for now, this is, this is good. This is good. None of these are negatives. These are positives. The housing market, uh, one of the things that I stress at these events is we just had a waterfall dive in demand in housing. It took us all the way down to 2007 levels. And everybody said, well, if sales collapse like that, inventory will go up three, four, five million. We broke a million. We did, we had the waterfall dive that everybody told us. Once that happens, 2008, not the case. But it's not... Sh- having that final number, it's showing you why. And this started all the way back in 2005 with the bankruptcy reform laws and 2010, the QM laws and showing people progression models and economic data easy enough for them to tell their clients, here it is, right? This is the reality of where the world is. And this is why I love showing that four decade chart of total active listings where you can see we had more inventory in the 80s and 90s and 2000. But now we have over 350 or 330 million people in America. We have over 155 million people working. We have 3.4% unemployment rates and the active listings going into January of 2023 is 970,000 per the NAR data per Atlas uh, Research. Mike, we're at 465,000 for single family. Yeah, that's, that's, that is not a good thing because there's not enough product there. We paid the price with massive housing inflation. Uh, during COVID, but we're trying to find a way to get some balance. And and I'm very happy to see the days on market growing.
0: I think the housing professional really appreciates the way you break down the data and you move past the the headlines, which can be very gloom and doom. We try to avoid that at HousingWire, but I think the way that you break down your analysis is, is very helpful to that housing professional. And just to remind the audience If you want to have Logan come and speak at at one of your events, send an email to press at hwmedia.com and our team will help you out and figure it out for you.
1: And there's a reason why I challenge people to live debates, because if I could get people in live debates, you could see the difference between a housing data analyst and the other side, right? And that if you don't have models or anything to work with, or you don't forecast anything for 10 or 12 years, you just throw stuff up in the air. It's really evident. And for the for the most part, most people don't even attempt to give, debate me on a live debate. But if that occurs, I can show the difference between people who forecast and have a model versus people who really, really highlight what we're taking advantage of, the the doom and gloom. And recessions come and go, I've always said, they're... they're people that might say there's a permanent expansion cycles on recessions come and go, but majority of people are always working. We just came off the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history. We had a global pandemic. We had a six week recession. We recovered from that high. And here we are today in February of 2023, uh, basically 3.4% unemployment rate, right? And, and not a, a, an economy that's collapsing. So if you want to debate Logan, you can send an email directly to me,
0: Diego at hwmedia.com, D-I-E-G-O at hwmedia.com. I'll be very happy to facilitate that debate. So we're uh we're we're recording a housing market update next week that you'll be joining and presenting your 2023 forecast, and also joining a panel of some very distinguished economists and housing market forecasters to talk about. Those findings. Um, what
1: are you What are you going to share with with the audience on on Monday? Well, here I'm really going to just talk about the updated uh, tracker every week. You know, and the the tracker is something that, in a sense, I've done for myself because I believe forward looking housing data has always worked since the 1990s, and that the housing market was actually getting better starting November 9th and November December. Nobody wanted to talk about it personally because I don't believe people know how to read the data correctly, but. Um, we we're now seeing it in the pending home sales data existing home sales we've seen a bounce in some of the things and just always to make context critical uh we had such a waterfall dive in demand and we've just had a, a stopping of the bleeding and a bounce from there and then we track this weekly to see can this continue do we need five percent mortgage rates to have it grow or does six percent mortgage rates uh keep this going uh, or is the stabilization good enough to where demand picks up by itself a little bit and then the builders can, uh, um, you know, get all their excess supply out? I think one of the questions I, I got in, in Texas is man, the builder stocks are 52 are week highs. What's going on? And trying to explain that. Does anybody know how many new homes active listings we have in America today? And nobody guessed 71,000. That's not a lot, right? Because the builders traditionally have between 80 to 120,000. So the whole business model of the builders had to be explained. So there's a lot of things that go into housing economics, but the fundamentals it's demographics and affordability. That's it, right? And then you go to credit channels. Credit channels are normal, boring, stable. Um, There are 30-day delinquencies. Everything is so low because the U.S. consumer, and that's a big part of all my presentations, on paper have never looked better. This is something that has never been given credit for for the last 12 years because stock traders and professional troll artists do not know credit channel risk because they have no training. And you could see this by the things they've said constantly for the last 12 years. They don't have the sophistication to know what they're were saying were wrong for a very long time. And let February of 2023 show that to be the case because uh, if it wasn't for COVID, we'd still be having the longest economic and job expansion recorded in history. I'm excited
0: about the housing market update. We'll put a link to the registration page in the show notes. We already have over 800 people registered. So there should be a lot of audience engagement. Logan, thank you so much for joining me today. It's always a pleasure. Look forward to having you on next week.
1: Success might look different this year, but it's out there for those willing to work for it. That's why 2023's Gathering of Eagles will focus on forging opportunities, the perfect chance for industry leaders to take a proactive approach to continually move the needle in their businesses and the real estate industry at large. Gathering of Eagles will bring together the nation's top residential real estate CEOs, presidents, and C-level leadership teams to grow, network, and set the pace for what's next in our industry. 2023's GOE is at Omni Barton Creek Resort in the Rolling Hill Country of Austin, Texas from June 18th until the 21st. Learn more and register your spot
0: on the events page at realtrends.com. And we can't wait to see you in Austin. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.